Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. Israel's Memorial Day is about war, not peace. And it shouldn't be a time for refrains of Kumbaya. The only song we should be singing is Hatikva. That is what our guest tweeted, and we will have the pleasure to hear from in a few moments. The purpose of Yom Hazikaron, Israel's Memorial Day, is to pay tribute to fallen Israeli soldiers and victims of terror who were targeted because they are Jews. This year, grieving Jewish families are offended by the Defense Ministry's gift of a wall clock designed with Islamic and Christian symbols. The insult felt by these bereaved families is so strong to the extent that they will return it. We will hear what's going on this year in Israel from the esteemed Ruthie Bloom. Ruthie is a columnist with the Jerusalem Post and the Jewish News Syndicate. Originally from New York City, she moved to Israel in 1977 and currently resides in Tel Aviv. A longtime editor and writer for various publications, including the Algeminer, she's also a regular commentator on life in Israel and U.S.-Israel relations. She's the author of the 2012 book, To Hell in a Handbasket, Carter, Obama, and the Arab Spring. She's just a delight. Ruthie's an absolute delight. And so I want to welcome you, Ruthie, back to our show. Thank you so much, Bela. And I just want to make one correction to what you said. Not exactly a correction, a clarification. It wasn't merely that I tweeted that uh, it isn't this, that Yom Zikaron isn't a day for peace, it's about war. It was a whole article I wrote for yes, the Jewish Yes, we were going to talk about that too. Yes. And um, the reason I felt compelled to write it was that though Israel Israelis strive for peace and always have, okay, but the word peace has become uh, a, a word without meaning in our context. It usually means a peace deal that leads to war. And in the context of Memorial Day for Israel's fallen soldiers and victims of terrorism, especially this year when we have an upswing in terrorist attacks and riots on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and um, anti-Semitic and anti-Israel riots, even among Israel's Arab citizens, it's not the time to be talking about Memorial Day as though it's uh, a peace rally. And that is what the the current Israeli government was sort of trying to do. Right. Um, And when the defense ministry of the state of Israel grants a clock that has Christian and Muslim. Right. So I was trying to understand right. what's going on because well, every year okay. ahead of Yom Hazikaron, bereaved families are awarded a gift. Exactly. But what sort of gifts were they given previously? And I what know, changed but, this year? 
Yeah, no, I don't know exactly what the gifts were. To tell you the truth, I didn't know they were gifted something every year. I mean, it makes right, sense. Right, right, right. Uh, probably some kind of token. But the fact is this year, an issue was made of it. Now, not because there are Christian and Muslim symbols. That's perfectly fine. There are plenty of Christians and Muslims who've been killed by Islamist terrorists uh, in the world and in Israel. And there are Arab Christians and Arab Muslims who serve in the Israel Defense Forces and are loyal citizens. It's perfectly fine. But this clock had no Jewish symbols. Right, right. It had nothing Jewish in it or Israeli. It, had, it didn't have the insignia of the IDF. It didn't have an Israeli flag. It had, a, um, it didn't, it had stars, the five-point star for Christians and for Muslims and the sickle for Islam. No star of David. No, um, there was no picture of the Kotel, the Western Wall. There was right. a picture of the Dome of the Rock, even though that's the Temple Mount, that's the Jewish Temple Mount, but still it's an Arab uh, symbol. And so they were offended because, excuse me, hey, what about us? Now, the defense ministry said, no, no, that's not our fault. The people who decided on the design include bereaved families. And that's true. There's a committee that decides on these things. Now, there are plenty of bereaved families in Israel who are also in the so-called peace camp, which is to say that some some bereaved families even took part in an alternative Memorial Day ceremony to mourn equally the deaths of Israeli soldiers and civilians alongside the deaths of Palestinians killed while killing the Jews. So... You know, uh, the fact that the fact that there are liberal Jews, there are also liberal Jews in Israel. We call them leftists. We don't we don't use the terms liberal and conservatives the way you do in America, mainly because liberal in Israel used to mean if liberally uh, capitalist is what it used to mean. And conservative referred to the conservative branch of Judaism. We just say left and right, just for our purposes. It is, it's true they're generalized terms. But right. there are even Holocaust survivors who are on the left. So what? We know that mm. the Jewish people have a tendency to say, if we just will it, there'll be peace all over. We know that Jews do that. So that's not surprising. Um, I wanted to stress that this was about war because we're still at war. We are now celebrating today uh, Israel's Independence Day, 74 years since its establishment. And with all its miracles, we in some ways, what we haven't reached is independence from a mindset that is actually not that rampant in Israel, but you wouldn't know that given the current government, given the uh, loud left-wing media, you wouldn't know that most Israelis really are not left-wing ideologues. First of all, most Israelis aren't ideologues. They live their lives just like everybody else and want the people in power to, that's why we vote for them. We elect them so that they can worry about it and protect us. The difference is that in Israel, everybody serves in the army and everybody does reserve duties. So yes, uh, Israelis have to be more up on the politics than, than maybe Americans, let's say. Still, most Israelis, including in the immediate aftermath 
of a terrorist attack are also, they go about saying, oh, what am I going to cook for dinner? What am I going to wear to the party? What am I, like normal people. Yeah. Okay. So, but I think it's very crucial that we stress that our wars are not over and it is not our fault by any means. It is not the Jews' fault and it's not Israel's fault. And on a day when we have to stop to mourn the dead, that's not a time for saying, lovey-dovey, everybody's in this together. No, not everybody. The killers and the people they killed are not in this together. Right. So do you think that a deliberate mockery was made of all the Jewish blood spilled? Or would you say that it was a so-called politically correct decision to keep the peace rather than call it what it is, war? I think it's the latter. It's, it's, it's a fantasy uh, that if you just, you know, you draw peace signs and you, and you have a dove and an olive branch. Listen, we've seen that olive branch since the days of Yasser Arafat, okay? Yeah. It is baloney, right? It, peace is not baloney. We know when there's peace. How do we know when there's peace? When we're not at war, when nobody's trying to kill us. We have a great example of that. The Abraham Accords, okay? The Abraham Accords were signed uh, less than two years ago, in 20, September 2020, and other states other than the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have joined on since. And the beauty of it was that the Abraham Accords were not, it wasn't, okay, you commit suicide and then we'll have peace with you. No, this was a mutual arrangement based on mutual interests, mainly to, to combat the Iranian nuclear threat, but also the interests of uh, flourishing economies, um, the exchange of knowledge and uh, technology and irrigation and all that. All of those things that we could be having with the Palestinian Authority if it didn't have uh, tyrannical Islamist uh, and um, uh, yeah, no, despotic leaders who don't care about their people. Uh, the point is, peace is great, and you know it when you see it. And what we are at the moment is at war. And we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Ruthie, Ramadan, the ninth month of the Muslim calendar, and the month of fasting was recently celebrated. And Ramadan is meant to teach empathy, according to what they say. Uh, you featured an article about Ramadan. Uh, tell us, please, how was that celebrated? Well, now, I, let me, I have to add a caveat to this, that many Muslims went to pray on Ramadan. What they do is they spend a month fasting during the days. It's slightly right. different from Jew, um, Jewish fasts, where we fast 24 hours, right. let's say, on Yom Kippur and the other fast right. days. The Muslims fast from sun down to sun up. They can eat a lot at night, let's say, and they, but they fast for a whole month. Every day they fast, and during those days they pray. Right. And they, it's supposed to be a solemn time for reflection. And, you know, I'm no, I'm no theologian, so I don't want to get into that. And many Muslims do do that. And then in the evening, they celebrate. They have a break fast in the evening. It's kind of cheerful. And the next day, they go ahead. And at the end of Ramadan, 
They have Eid al-Fitr, which is the celebration at the end of the 30 days. This year, oh, well, other years too, but this year Israel knew that it had to gear up for violence during Ramadan because the uh, Hamas in Gaza, uh, Fatah in Ramallah, and uh, Muslims all over, radical Muslims all over the Middle East said, uh, watch out Jews, we are going to kill you during Ramadan because, um, because you are trying to storm the Al-Aqsa Mosque and take it over. And this is a lie that has been repeated uh, over and over again. It's a propaganda tool. Uh, Israel has never tried to storm the Al-Aqsa Mosque or take it over. In fact, when Israel was victorious in the Six-Day War and the Temple Mount, which is Judaism's holiest site, in, in Islam, it's its only third holiest. Uh, Judaism's holiest site, the Temple Mount, was uh, Israel decided to cede authority over that, over its holiest site, to the Waqf, to Jordanian, um, it, it, to this Islamic trust and under Jordanian supervision. That was out of the goodness of Israel's heart, out of stupidity, I may say, but with good intentions to, in, again, in that fantasy that if you do something, you make gestures like that, you win friends. But in the Middle East, when you make gestures like that, you are perceived as weak and, um, and easily maneuverable. So the point is that the status quo on the Temple Mount has been, shockingly, that while Muslims are allowed to pray there in their mosque and everywhere. Jews are only allowed to even visit the Temple Mount certain times and are arrested if they are caught even uh, mouthing a Jewish prayer. Standing on on the complex, not in the mosque, standing outside the mosque, standing. If I were to go up there and say the, uh, the prayer, the Shema, I could get, I can end up in handcuffs. That's the double standard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's the status quo on the Temple Mount. And there is a huge lie that we're trying to, uh, I I think we should end the status quo on the Temple Mount, not to storm the Al-Aqsa Mosque, not to prevent Muslims from praying in their mosque. Of course not. But to enable all Jews who wish to go up there and pray do to do so. Uh, However, we are not doing that, and and it's a lie. But the fact is, they were threatening. Leading up to Ramadan, we had some severe, uh, what you call lone wolf terrorist uh, attacks. In the month of April alone, during Ramadan, fifteen innocent people were slaughtered for no reason. Anyway, that so you know. There are peaceful Muslims who want to pray. And the fact is many elderly Muslims were really screaming at the young guys whose testosterone was going crazy. They were taking the opportunity to amass rocks and boards and other kinds of weapons and firebombs and spend and and defile their own mosque by turning it into a, a soccer stadium. They were sort of playing soccer in there and throwing rocks down to the, to the Western Wall below. 
And there were elderly Muslims really saying to them, what are you doing? You are defiling the mosque and you are desecrating the holiday. And you are also, you are, you're creating this, it's awful. But, but, but th- those voices were few and far between. And uh, it's, it's a tragedy, but it's a worse tragedy uh, when we don't acknowledge it or recognize it. So why do you think the voices were few and far in between? Huh. Well, you know, we could start with the broadest reason, which is political correctness. Okay. You know, if you were to compare that to what's going on in America right now, I mean, they're not really comparable, but let's, let's just give you an example so that somebody might get a flavor. In America today, you really uh, have to be careful if you dare to say that a woman was born a woman or that Black Lives Matter is a racist movement. You, you say to yourself, really, is it worth it? Do I really want to bring the wrath of everybody on my head? Like, for what? Okay. Yeah. Here, you do not Pick want... your battles to... wisely. Exactly. And here, you know, to dare to suggest that you know, there's this war going on and that, and that even Israel's Arab, popu- Arab citizens are getting riled up by solidarity with the so-called Palestinians who are, you know, again, we have, to, we have to look at this as it is. The same radicals are in Iran were burning Israeli flags um, to celebrate Al-Quds Day, which is Jerusalem Day, which is to to say, you know, every year in Ramadan, here's our big celebration. Let's burn some Israeli and American flags. And these people who are uh, and they said on behalf of Palestinians, but it's not on behalf of Palestinians. That's a big lie. It is a religious movement, a religious and political movement that has nothing to do specifically with Palestinians. It has to do with radical Islam with a goal to eliminate, um, and, and their goal, the Iranians say it outright, to eliminate Israel. But so do the Palestinians say it. And let me tell you, even the Palestinian Authority, with which Israel has had peace deals over and over again, Palestinian Authority still teaches its kids in its schools and its newspapers and its sermons. I'm not even talking about Hamas in right. Gaza, which is open about it. I'm talking about uh, the Palestinian Authority that says the entire map of the state of Israel is Palestine and that and they're not talking only about uh, the territory that Israel won in the Six Day War. They're talking about with the so-called occupied territory. They're talking about the entire state of Israel. They consider me living in Tel Aviv as just just as much of a settler as someone living in Efrat living anywhere in what they call the West Bank and we call Judea and Samaria. It, 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 so again, there's so much uh, falsehood involved. And the trouble is that the Israeli government also has an Islamist party in its uh, coalition, though that party, Ram, has suspended itself. It's not, it hasn't left the coalition because that would immediately uh, make the, the whole government fall. It hasn't left the coalition, but in in so-called defense of the goings-on on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it uh, suspended itself. So we also have uh, people like that in the government, not to mention in the Knesset itself, 
a whole slew of Knesset members, Arab Knesset members, who are basically traitors to the state of Israel. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about Palestinians. We're talking about their occupation. I'm talking about people who enjoy equal rights in Israel, who have social security benefits, who and my tax shekels pay their salaries. And not only do they vote, but they also have power as parliamentarians. Um, and, you know, that in itself. So when you ask me why, you know, there are many reasons, but uh, those are some of them. Right, right. Um, Ruthie, I follow your writing, as you know. Uh, you certainly have a spunky, admirable way with words. Thank you. Um, we all know a bit that the Supreme Court voted to overturn abortion rights, making it now illegal. There is so much anger going on about this overturn. And I read your witty remark where you said, quote unquote, I support aborting kids when they reach puberty and start slamming the door in your face. Otherwise, I oppose it. <laughs> what, what is going on in Israel now? Meaning, what is the general consensus about the news that uh, Roe versus Wade decision has been struck down? Look, it pretty, Israel divides pretty much the way the United States does. Okay, I, I often try to tell Americans that the question shouldn't be, what do Israelis feel about X, Y, and Z? But rather, what does the Israeli left feel about X, Y, and Z? And what does the Israeli right feel? Just the way I would say, if I were to say to you, what Amer do Americans feel about abortion? Okay, now I will say one thing. I think that Israel has a fantastic um, uh, attitude. Israel, I mean the laws, the, right, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the laws about abortion. Because, yes, I am against abortion. Okay, I'm against abortion, but I also understand it. I have a mixture of opinion. I don't have a mixture. My, I, I consider it immoral without that. I consider the bottom line. However, I think that we people often do immoral things when we get into certain situations. Uh, I think that none of us is, is, uh, is uh, uh, beyond committing sin. Let's put it that way. Okay. So yes, I have a complex, I, I, you know, I myself, thank God never was in that situation where I had to contemplate an abortion and I'm delighted because I'm against it, but I can imagine contemplating it. You know, I'm a woman. We, we have our reasons. Also, the, the big lie that has been going on since Roe v. Wade so for 50 years now is, you know, otherwise there'll be coat hanger abortions and the poor girls and the poor blacks. It's a big lie because during all that time, the bulk of abortions were not poor girls and the, the bulk of abortions were, uh, you know, Harvard girls. Uh, like, so that was a big, that was the biggest hoax of all. And Bernard Nathanson, an abortion doctor who who performed something like, I forget, 100,000 abortions right. uh, in the 60s, he wrote a book. He, he changed his mind yeah. about abortion mm -hmm. and wrote a book saying that he is devastated that he did this because he had started out with the idea that you have to help young poor girls who get raped or for all those reasons that we say. And it turns out that these were married women who said it's not convenient because they're going to Europe this summer. They were yeah. college educated girls. There were girls with money. There were girls. And at the time when I was growing up in New York, I remember 
that it was black women who really opposed abortion because they said, and I'm sure there was some truth to this, that it was like a white uh, conspiracy to get rid of black babies. And they did not like abortion. They were not pro-abortion. The black women, including the single mothers with kids raised by the grandmother, no. They were against it because they thought Planned Parenthood was against them, not for them. So that's one thing. But Israel has a pretty strict, it's, it's this kind of weird thing, because in Israel, just like in America, you can have an abortion. And by the way, this new ruling, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, again, let's stop lying about it. Women can still have abortions in America, and states will be able to decide. And if you don't live so, you'll cross the border to the other state, take oh, a bus yeah. by an hour and have an abortion. Yeah, they want to have abortions, they'll have abortions. That's they'll the have abortions. And in Israel... There's a, there are plenty of abortions, but the law about it in Israel, I think right. is pretty reasonable. There's a committee. If you want an abortion, um, there you go through a committee. And by the way, this all has to do with money too. Let's not forget because these women who are screaming my body, my body, what they really mean is the government should pay for my having an abortion. If I get pregnant, let's be honest. Okay, a lot of this has to do with where the taxes are spent and what what is included in our health care or in all that Um, in Israel, too, because the fact is in Israel, if you go, you could easily have private abortions. Doctors have an easy way of saying that you had a miscarriage. They can finagle it if you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, the law says if you want an abortion and it's going to be paid for by your the idea all, that it's the law that that shakes people. The up. Law is that, and the, the law here is if you want an abortion and you want it paid for by your HMO, you go through a committee and on this committee are sitting doctors, a rabbi, a shrink, uh, you know, another a social worker. I forget, but it's made up of people who hear your case and then they approve or disapprove of it. I think it's reasonable. And the reason I think it's reasonable is that I think a woman who's going to do that, I think anybody, a woman and a man or a husband or not, I think that it's reasonable to say to someone, you know, think before you do this. Let's let's stop a minute and think. Um, also, there's nobody in Israel I know supports partial birth abortion. I mean, let's I mean, that's just murder. And everybody knows it. And I think Americans know it, too, if you want to know. There's no way that every woman I know in Israel, and I'm sure it's true in America, is putting a magnet on her refrigerator of her ultrasound picture from from the time the the fetus is, you know, two weeks old throughout the thing of a fetus on the fridge and not considering that. And they're showing it to their friends. Look, look at my baby. You can see your eyes. You can see the feet. You can see that. And then suddenly it's not a baby. When you're when you're vacuuming it out, it's not a baby anymore. I don't believe it. And because we do treat the fetuses when we're pregnant as babies, when we want the baby, we're showing everybody, look, they talk to their bellies and they're they're talking because they know there's a human being inside. Also, the age at which doctors now are saving Fetuses yes. that once were no longer viable. That's right. They're, so right. They're operating in utero. And even having premature babies come out and be in incubators. And there's all kinds of amazing things. So if the difference between when it's okay 
And when it's not, the difference between calling it a bunch of tissues and the woman has a right to her own body and calling it a baby, the difference lies apparently in what I feel like at that moment. Because no woman who wants her baby calls it a bunch of tissues, tissues, and is not devastated when she loses the baby. So I'm saying that it's a complicated issue, but Israel at least says, okay, you can't just just automatically, boom, boom, boom. Uh, also, Israel really is a country that is so filled with babies, including secular, not just religious women. I mean, uh, you know, average, women, women who aren't religious have lots of kids here. <laughs> I mean, we have a high birth, a high... Uh, birth rate and not only you know that's another lie it's always oh yes it's the Haredim and they have yes so they have 12 kids and I have four but I have secular friends with five and seven kids uh you know so but I what I find awful is that if you want to fight about abortion then at least tell the truth overturning Roe v. Wade does not abolish abortion period right Ruthie Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bela, as usual. Yeah, My dear friends, remember our sisters and brothers who have given their lives to Israel to fight our enemies. And those who are just civilians trying to live their lives but were murdered in cold blood because they were Jewish. Shed a tear and feel the pain of the families who have lost their sons, daughters, husbands, fathers, sisters, brothers, and friends. Thank you to the news and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.